Heidi Ho, my fellow thinkers, I'm coming to you from cloudy, windy, bustling Buffalo, New York. I am your host, Logan Eldine Misseldine, and today, today is a special day because today I'm recording another podcast. There's nothing real special going on in my life. What are we talking about here? But I do want to apologize for the time that it took to get my last podcast out. It took me way longer than I anticipated. I really wasn't trying to. The weekend came and attacked me, and so apologize for that. So I'm trying to get to this and the next podcast out as soon as possible to you so that you guys can enjoy listening to it and just learning with me and along here. So I'm going to try to keep up with it. So with that out of the way, um, today... The discussion of topic is vulture culture, and I'll go into description, and I'll go into a little bit after this whole introduction, but as a clear notice to everything, uh, if you guys have any questions, if you guys have any comments, concerns, even hate mail, preferably love mail, but even hate mail, uh, you can definitely hit me up on the Facebook and the Instagram, they're both potless thoughts, um, and you guys can comment, you can come attack me all you want, all, all there, uh, I'm going to set up an email, too, just for anybody who would rather do it that way, have an, an easier way to contact me. I'm going to set one up specific for this podcast coming up here soon so you guys can contact me. I really, the only thing I'm really going to want to ask of you, I really don't give a shit about likes um, or shares or comments or anything. Well, we need comments, yeah, but the more thing I'm really looking for here is, sorry, comments and feedback and personal Things, even stories, if you guys know something, corrections even, uh, uh, if you guys want to enlighten me on something that I'm missing or something, you know, that's, that's more of what I'm interested in here in this podcast. I'd, I'd rather learn from you guys than see that you guys enjoy what I'm watching. And I'm, I, obviously I want you to enjoy it, but I'd rather have this to be a more compatible relationship here. And maybe I'll give shout outs to some comments and we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll just see how it goes. I'm, these things are getting started so quickly and I'm not as popular as I'd like to be. So we're going to keep this up. So that being said, um, uh, I really hope everybody enjoys this one. Uh, this is another nature podcast, but things are going to get a little gross, a little sticky. So hold up and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So just hang tight with me. We're going to get this ball rolling and we're going to get this started in a couple seconds. You're going to hear a fun little transition and then you're going to dip down, down right back into the topic. Okay, folks, so thanks for sticking around. So here we go. So vulture culture really is just the collection of from, uh, natural artifacts, so to speak, of once living organisms, basically going in the woods and finding dead things and preserving their remains one way or the other. You want to talk about it like that. So like either bones, insects, their fur, skulls, uh, wet specimens, organs, whatever people are into. There's all sorts of ways you can get into this. So really what kind of goes into finding bones, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from bones first because that's what I'm more familiar with is that with bones. So, well, vul- let, me, let, me, let me backtrack here. Uh, so with vulture culture, it's, it's different than taxidermy. It's a lot of like taxidermy. I mean, it seems like a very creepy Jeffrey Dahmer thing. Like, oh my gosh, you went out and you found dead things and you're obsessed with dead things and you're obsessed with death. Like, yes and no. No more than you are with taxidermy or with any other practice of anything like that. 
But specifically with vulture culture, which is interesting, is that uh, most vultures, so to speak, uh, they pride themselves on th- that they've taken these natural artifacts and they have ethically sourced them. So what that means to them is that they have found these bones and organic material without actually killing the animal or insect themselves. It's purely based off of happenstance, purely based off of scavenging. There is no uh, inflicted death uh, done by them, which that's what really separates taxidermy and vulture culture in uh, one of the most based senses. So with that, you go into the woods, you find any sort of woods, or you find any sort of plot of land, you find anything, really anywhere. You can find bones anywhere. I've found some in the city, I've found some suburbs, some some obviously in the nature. Like They can be anywhere. Rather, wherever, wherever death is present, you will find their remains. You will find the product of death. So, you, you go out and you find them. They're, they're in all sorts of areas. They're under logs, buried under rocks, on top of rocks. Um, you can find them near roads, near train stations, near train tracks, near uh, dirt roads, near houses, under bushes, anywhere. The An interesting place you can find them, too, is that a lot of times rodents, specifically squirrels and other ones, they use bones or antlers even uh, that have been left behind, and they use them to wear down their teeth. They use them because rodents have the orange teeth. They have, they're permanently growing. They're consistently growing. They're always growing and if they let them go away and get away from them they'll end up piercing their skull or making it impossible for them to eat and they'll starve or get impaled by their own teeth which is you know one of uh, a curiosity which so they use bones which are very hard and antlers which are very hard and they consistently chew on them and then a lot of times they'll stick them between branches of trees so that they can get at them better and not have to be susceptible to the ground which I find very fascinating. And I have actually found bones in a tree, and I can describe that later. But so that it, it takes a lot of work. It's and just like it, it's a lot like hunt, uh, shed hunting in the hunting faction, where you're taking your time, you're steadily walking, you're, you're, you're gridding a place. You know, you, you suspect that there might be something there. You know, you walk, you know, left and right, you're taking your time, you're really in getting deep into nature and you're mistakenly finding sticks to be bones and then you actually find a bone at a point and you're being successful and you're learning what things look like which and how you can detect them and you're learning what certain animal signs can lead to certain things and um you're really getting into nature's decomposition aspect where decomposing things are happening you're learning about fungus you're learning about moss you're learning about dirt itself you're getting really into it it's a really fascinating thing to do and i think it's really great especially for young children that have a lot of time on their hands and so not always are you going to find bones that are dried so there's a couple of things you can do so if you find a so when you find also bones all sorts of different stages of decomposition so you'll find some that are dry some that are still fleshed they sell flesh they have even fresh roadkill that's a very popular way a lot of people do and they even make money off of it by using smaller bones and stuff they can find from roadkill um i've only found a couple of roadkill that i've had time to process but 
So what happens with a dry bone is that if it's not smelling, if it's not wet and with moss, without, you know, with a moderate amount of dirt to mud, uh, if there isn't any squishiness or anything to it, it's virtually clean. It, the only thing you can do is whiten it. You can't, there's no, there's really no disease you get from dried processed bones. I mean, I'm sure there's probably something on it, but it's not from the bone itself. All you'd really need to do is a quick disinfectant if you're even really concerned with it, which I have been in the past. But um, so that's the easiest thing. That's like the ideal bone for like just a quick process here and there if you don't really want to put too much effort into it. But there's other processes when you say we're going to we're going to we're, we're going to go from dry up into like roadkill. So I'm going to describe these processes like that. So now and I I found uh fawn kill bones uh, fawn remains that literally had only patches of fur and the ligaments left behind the the coyotes or whatever had killed that had stripped the bones so well that only the ligaments were left. So there's a process called maceration in nature, which basically in the vulture culture world is taking is the process of letting warm water and heat melt or disintegrate or decompose or consume or digest flesh. It's similar to mastication, which is chewing, which is crunching, which is breaking up. A maceration is the longer process of letting liquid and heat do the work for you, loosening it up, like, you know, letting letting your dishes soak in the sink is a similar to maceration. It's a, sim, it's a similar thing. So what you do is you take a five-gallon bucket, you fill it with water, and you throw in your strung-up bones, and you let it sit, and you let it sit for days in the heat and the sun, even the winter. I mean, you don't want it in winter. You, you don't want, you want it to stay warm. You really want it to be warm. That's the whole point of maceration is that heat building up. And so after a couple of days, algae builds up and it's this blood red algae. I'm, I'm assuming it's from the bone marrow. I, I can only imagine why else it would be red, but it's, it's algae and it's this nasty, foul smelling substance. And it gets all over the bones too, if you've let it in long enough and you've got to change it out so that the algae can regrow and do its process again. I have literally, every time I unpacked my rot pot, as I'm going to call it, is that, or maceration tank, if you want to be technical, I've literally puked every single time all over the place. My parents have puked, my brothers have puked when I'm showing them. It's a nasty, nasty process. It's not really for the faint of heart. I just have a really bad gag reflex. Always have since I have a kid. Um, you can take that as sexual as you want. It's not. But... I literally just every time couldn't take it, but I kept at it and I harvested quite a few bones from it too. So that, and then after that step, and this is the final step that you would do no matter what you've done to process the bones, you would, to whiten them and to disinfect them, you take hydrogen peroxide. Uh, quick side note, in with bones, I know a lot of people, a lot of hunters, they boil or they bleach their European mounts, which is just the skull. And that's not good for bones. It's not good for the integrity. It's not good for the structure. It gets them white and gets them clean very quickly. But you're sacrificing the integrity of bones. You would have much stronger skulls. You would have much stronger skeletons and bones if you do not bleach or boil your bones. So that is a big no-no in vulture culture. That is the biggest cardinal sin, if the only sin of all vulture culture is boiling and bleaching. It's not good. So to get the white aspect of bones to really come out, you let it sit in hydrogen peroxide for days. There, you let it cover, you cover it up, you put it in a closed container, you keep it out of the sun, and it 
does a very good job. In the maceration tank, you can put detergent in to degrease the bones. After you've gotten all the ligaments and all the flesh and all the sinews off, you just pour some deter- dish detergent in there and it degreases the bones. It takes out that oil that makes it yellow. The yellowing in bones is a lot of times is grease. It's not just, I mean, because bones that have been bleached dry or sun bleached are white and bones can be white. I personally have let some of my bones stay yellow. It took too long and I just didn't understand the science. There's everything. This is all a science. It all depends the area you live, the heat, the temperature, the weather, the, the type of bones you have. It's all a science. It's all really working down to it. Um, another way. So, so now, so if you, you have some ligament bones, you know how to work that out. Say you found a chip or a raccoon or a chipmunk on the side of the road that's been hit by a car. And you, you see that there's still some bones salvageable that you want to save and keep. And they're not all broken and busted up. Or it's just a dead animal in general. It's pretty fresh. You, instead of having to skin it, deflesh it, then macerate it, you can take an easier step and you can bury it. And this seems pretty logical you take another five gallon bucket you fill that with dirt or another container and you fill it with dirt and you put that animal in the dirt you can put worms you can take natural dirt not potting soil eh, i mean you, you could do it to use as a filler but you've got to mix in some of the natural decomposers of natural so you take some natural dirt from your garden take some natural dirt from the forest where you're at put some leaves in get some bacteria going in there you know you've got to get it like natural it's like a natural you're taking a terrarium of dirt essentially, or a sample size of dirt, and you're wanting to recreate the the natural garbage cleaners. You can throw worms in some potting soil and throw some good stuff, like a good compost going and get that going. You can make your own. It's it's just easier to take from where you get it. If you can't, if you don't have a lot of good topsoil, you can definitely just make your own type of culture of dirt, which is fine, which is totally cool. I've done that before. So you would take it and you would leave it for weeks, for months, however long you think it's comfortable, how big the animal is, what state it was in. If it's super fresh, you certainly want to wait a long time. That fur can take a long time, especially with birds. That's a whole other process. I won't even get into that right now. But you'd bury it and you'd pull it out. And if there's still some ligaments and you don't want to leave it in there, and if you're losing bones to decomposition, uh, you can throw it in the maceration tank. Just make sure, you know, figure out a way of being able to sift through the bones because you can lose a lot of the tiny rib bones, a lot of the neck bones, a lot of, because of skulls, they do not stay together. There's all, there's a lot, especially nasal cavities of uh, certain animals, they fall apart. It's like squirrels or deer or birds even. The the inner bones can come apart and they you can lose them. So make sure you have a way of gaining those bones back, sifting them out properly. I've lost some bones, nasal bones, and no, it's not a bad thing. It's just if you want a if you want a pristine skull, and you want the skull to look perfect, and if you're a perfectionist, it's just the way to do it. And you can do that for all the other bones as well. Um, and if you don't want to do a maceration tank, if you don't want to do a rot pot, or well, yeah, you we would probably still have to bury. If you well, you don't necessarily have to. Uh, there's other things of just letting it out top, putting it in a cage. But the the other thing that's very popular is using insects called dermicide beetles i'll have to spell that out in the show notes or anything and they are amazing deflashers they don't really go for living flesh 
They really just consume organic material at a vigorous rate. They're, they're used by taxidermists and bone collectors around the world. And you can probably find them at a taxidermy shop. It, it all depends around you. I'm not sure how. You just have to go asking around to find a culture. They're not. They're very high maintenance. They're not very recommended to use and have your own colony because they can escape very quickly and they will consume your food like crazy. So if you're going to do it, be very careful. Get trained. Do whatever. Learn. Really be careful. They're very high maintenance. They're a very good way of defleshing. You may still have to do maceration after that. It all depends on your specimen, so to speak, or your your, your thing. So that's really what goes into when if you want to get the when you go out to get the bones and what you do to clean those bones to deflesh them. That's a really big process and. I personally like to leave my bones a little dirty. I like to leave them kind of how they came. Like, I like to disinfect them if I found them. Obviously, if I have a fresh specimen, I'm going to whiten them out, get the grease out of there as much as I can. It's just a really good thing to do to keep them clean, keep everything clean. Um, all this is clean. All of this is cleanliness. All of this has got to do a lot with safety. You know, you want to safely gain these bones, gain these things, and it's it's all about doing things in an ethical manner as well being very respectful and a lot of people have made this a business they they make pendants they make jewelry they make artwork there's a lot of beautiful artwork that's been made with bones and and bugs and other organic material it's a really amazing thing to do it's a really amazing process to get into nature so another aspect of vulture culture that i have a little bit of experience with is insects and arachnids and other invertebrates. So with bones, it is it does tie into science, does tie into biology and the study of animals because of our specifically articulating skeletons and studying uh, the studying the bones and stuff. I forget the fancy name for it right now. Uh, osteology, I believe it is. But you see this in museums with dinosaurs and other animals, especially large animals, where the bones have been saved and then wired and glued together to recreate the structure of the skeleton as it would be with within the creature of the bones. And you see that a lot, but that's kind of the only tie-in. But with insects... Um, sorry, I lost my place here, everybody. So with insects, uh, specifically, it does tie into science a little bit better because of entomology and the sampling of uh, organisms and of different species and genus and structuring it. Um, the repositioning of deceased insects and arachnids and vertebrates, it, it just seems to be a much more accepted and commonplace thing. And I've done it myself a little bit here. And, um, and so if you're interested and if you want to get your kids something to do, like a science project or get them into something that keeps them out of the house or keep yourself out of the house or your spouse, uh, this is a really good way to do it. And so this is where personally i could see that the ethical aspect between hardcore vulture culture and then uh other people could dive in because i personally i believe with vulture culture because i do hunt and i do these other things i'm not really into vulture culture anymore i still collect bones and i still do things like that but i don't really do it the same way that other other vulture culture people would do it my ethics has been kind of muddied compared to that standard on that and with insects I don't I believe that you can still ethically humanely kill them and still be part of it because they are insects and they are a lesser being and that's just my personal belief 
You can slash me all you want. I really don't give a shit. So you can send me the hate mail and send me all the, uh, your, your, your receipts and your sources of how this and how that. It's just how I run this. And if you're upset by it, I'm sorry. But this is how I believe and you can believe what you want. So sorry about that tangent. But so with insects, if you're interested and you don't want to have to just go and find dead ones and you can only find a certain few dead ones that are in your basement, but you do have the access to catching and euthanizing invertebrates or insects or arachnids, the way to do it is I personally like to overkill it. And so there's two ways you can either freeze them in a jar or you can put isopropyl in a rag or a piece of paper towel and then suffocate the insects essentially. I find that you use both and it kills them very quickly. And so because with that, you don't have to, all you have to do is unfreeze the, the, the specimen. I'll refer to it as a specimen. And because if you're going to articulate it and if you're going to reposition it and store it and dry it out in a certain position other than curled up in the death throes, you have to have a wet or a damp specimen. And so that's the best way to do it if you want to do it as quickly as possible immediately. So if you find, say, a dead lunar moth or one of the big, beautiful brown ones and they're dried out and they've been there for a long time, and they're a little bit damaged, what you have to do is you have to uh, essentially rehydrate the specimen. You have to get liquid back into the, into the body. And so it's very simple. You get a Tupperware or you get a container. You get some wet or damp paper towels. You don't want it too sopping wet. You can just do damp. Damp is pretty fine. You know, as long as every inch of it's covered and it's like a little drippy. You don't want it too dry. This is basically just a very good wet, damp pad. And you, and you carefully envelop the specimen in it. It doesn't matter if it's a butterfly, an ant, a spider, a beetle. It'll do it. It'll do the trick. Some may need to stay longer. So the best bet is at least three hours to like two days just to be safe. Especially if you're collecting a lot of specimens, a lot of uh, invertebrates, you can really get a cycle going pretty well. I, um, I've done it for butterflies. I've done it for beetles. I've done it for spiders. It works. It works very well. And so I'm going to, out of pure simplicity, you can apply this to any other invertebrate, but I'm specifically going to talk about butterflies because that's the most popular form uh, to civilians, so to speak, so to speak, to anybody who's not a scientist. And there's a lot of gear and a lot of equipment that's based specifically around butterflies. But just know that if you want to articulate a ladybug that you found, you can use the same equipment. You just have to adjust your process. And so with a, with a say, I have a swallowtail that I have yet to articulate and I, I'm waiting to get a display case proper and hang it up in my house. I've had it for a couple of years now, but it's safe. It's, it's still intact. But what you would do is you would rehydrate it in the paper towels and then you would get a positioning board and you can make your own, own balsa, balsa wood, even styrofoam, you can do it. It's the best. You just have to buy the pins and you can find them online. You can look at them really easily. Entomology pins, they're very easy to find. And so what you would do is after the rehydrating, you would lay the body of the, of the butterfly because you want to show off the wings more unless you have specific reason to do the legs and body. But for the most part, you're only doing the wings. So you would put the body, you would nestle it in the, the crevice of your, your, uh, your drying board is so to speak so you would have you would have it so that 
the body would be lower and that the wings would sit flush to the flat surface of the balsa wood or styrofoam. And so, and then using tweezers and you can use, you can get specific tweezers that are pretty cheap that are meant to go underneath the wings and cup them very gently. You don't want to break the scale. You don't want to break the thing. You want it to be immaculate as possible. You might mess up here and there, especially with other vertebrates. Just take your time, but you would take it and you would, you would use the pins and you would use pieces of paper or specific entomology paper and you would essentially position the wings, hold it there, uh, and then use the paper to cinch it down with the pins on the side. You don't want to use tape. You don't want to put the needles or the pins in any part of the wings or the insect itself other than the initial position that you're going to be taking that pin and putting it into the box. Or with butterflies, you would remove the pin and put it into the display case. And so after you have positioned the wings gently and secured them down with pieces of paper, you will leave it to dry for like at least, I would say eight to hours to two days. I prefer to go two days. It just gives me time to collect more samples and to really make sure that it's really dry. And for butterflies, it, you're going on the lesser side, but for whatever reason, I've tried to articulate spiders specifically and they are incredibly water tight. They have a lot of moisture. They re retain a lot of moisture. So you have to leave them for a long time. And I almost got down to a science, but I kept ruining my samples because the legs would dry out before the body would or the inner legs would. So that's just a side note if you want to do spiders. But with, and then that's how you would do insects or butterflies specifically. And then with, with insects, you would essentially position the legs and then trap them between pins and articulate them and and it's a very intricate process of positioning under the knees you don't want to pin the actual things you would only want to you'd only want to position them in a way that they could be dried and they would stay put you don't want to pin them that damages the thing and so with that that's essentially what you would do with insects and drying out insects it's very fun it's very intricate and you can develop very beautiful collections and i will post my collection on Instagram and Facebook within the next couple days that I post this podcast. Alrighty, folks. So now that you've learned how to find bones, deflesh bones, and clean bones and whiten bones, uh, now, and as well as adding some insects to your collection, now I'm going to go over some of the more personal stories and the things that have happened to me while I've been out bone collecting and and uh, kind of how I got started in it, and some of the things that happened when I've tried to introduce my collections to the internet. <sighs> Sorry, everybody, you gotta get a good yarn out. So, the very first thing that I had, and that I had been introduced to, was I was a young child in Utah, and we were at a family reunion, and we were somewhere in the, the mountains land. I'm assuming it's some of my extended family's private land. And me and the other kids were exploring and gallivanting about and having a good old time romping the romping the the field in the woods. And I somehow saw this bit of white, and I unearthed this vertebrae, this thick, like mid, probably mid back, probably upper reaching uh, vertebrae. And 
Uh, some of the ends had been chewed off or broken off, uh, but for the most part, it was immaculate. There's no, there's still no major structural damage. There's no nastiness on it, um, and it was pretty white for the time. So, brought it to my parents, and they were as cool. Uh, it was just they, they, they supported me through it basically. Helped let me bring it home, and then they boiled it, um, and I kept it from then on and have played with it and it's gone a little yellow for me touching it but i uh being in boy scouts i ended up using it as the cub scout uh kerchief a couple of times as well as the normal kerchief it it is a little too big a little too smooth but i i loved it anyway it was it was was pretty cool uh i've always had a fascination with it i've memorized just about every detail from it and if i was a good artist i could probably draw it up pretty well um but it gave me a real fascination for bones, and it, it, it laid in my subconscious for a very long time, and I'd always be able to tell people I have this bone, and I have this at home, and I could bring it in, and I've showed it for a show and tell a couple of times, and uh, it, it, it's such a beautiful thing. Of just, it, It's almost like a beautiful sculpture, beautiful artwork, uh, something that I, you could be proud of to put on, and you know, it's interesting how bones can almost be considered abstract art, but yet it's so... They're so symmetrical and so formed and, you know, because if, if you don't understand what it is and you don't have an understanding of what it is, it's such an odd shape for something that does such a specific job. But each nub and each knob and each um, textured part and where cartilage would once go, would it all has specific uh, purpose and it's always given my, my mind such a... Uh, such a attunement to finding bones in the woods and i didn't find anything for a long time after that um and uh i've literally laid out all my bones from my bone jar right now and i'm missing a lot of bones i don't know if i've uh, left them in a move or if i have a hidden box somewhere in my mem- my memory box but for the moment i've got only got a small handful of what i used to have holy crap everybody forgive me and so uh until I moved to a little town called Clarence in Buffalo, New York, I um I hadn't collected any much bones. And then after I graduated high school, I somehow got into it after I had gotten into Tumblr, which is a online blog uh, website. It made, it made every, it, the the whole it's it's like Facebook but blog specific. There's no there's no real posts. You can repost things and. There's all sorts of uh, aesthetically pleasing looking things as well as some other. Uh, uh, basically, if, if it's on, if you want to look at something and have a, a blog about it, Tumblr's a way to go. There's Everything is on Tumblr. Whether it's child safe or not, it's on Tumblr. But I got into Vulture Culture um, somehow. I forgot the, the blog or the site that gave me the interest. Hmm. But I, um, I uh, went out and... I uh, had found some small bones around my house out there, and I got into it, and uh, I I just went out, and there is a wonderful wildlife management unit that's uh, has a looping trail throughout of it called Tillman uh, WMU, and it's not hunting or trapping uh, allowed because it's in the middle of Clarence, um, but. There are a lot of deer, and I'm assuming a lot of coyote or foxes or something that kills a lot of fawns because most of my bones are fawn kill, so to speak. So 
uh, I remember the first thing that I found was I found a shoulder and uh, upper and lower fore, uh, like frontal arm. I didn't find the hoof or anything. Uh, they were literally laying in the middle of the trail, like smack dab in the middle with a little bit of fur and and all the ligaments. And I was so astounded how this showed up literally in the middle of the the trail. And I'm sure that either the animal had pulled it off to the middle, right in the middle of the night after it had been eating for a while, or somebody had gone off to the side, found it, and disgustedly threw it into the, the center of the trail teasing a friend or something, but I found it, and I brought it home immediately and started off a rot pot because I had already set it up to if I had found anything, but I, uh, and the only bones I have from raining from that, I believe are, I have the the longer uh, upper bone. I, I, I'm, I should know all these scientific names, and then I have uh, a a bone from the joint that I was able to get rid of all the ligaments. Uh, I was overwhelmed with the task of removing the ligaments. It was a lot tougher than I presumed it would be. So I have only one of the in interlocking joint bones from that. And then I also have, I'm assuming, either the tibula or fibula from the lower. It's a very thin, long bone, very enjoyable. And then... um this, the next thing that I found from there was I found uh, a, a pelvic bone or a uh, pel pel oh yeah I found a pelvic bone I didn't find the sacral bone but uh, I found a pelvic bone from uh, put together from uh, in the middle of a tree actually that's, that's the first thing that I found in a tree was I was walking and I had heard that squirrels can put things up into trees and I went out looking, and I just so happened to be looking up at eye level, and it was smack them dab right there in the middle of my vision, and it was just so far off the trail. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, everybody. I, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Um, and I didn't find any other... I didn't find anything else in trees like that again, uh, at least any time recently. And so I plucked it out and i have and uh and the thing about bones it's really interesting is that you think that the skull would stay together that this the pelvic bones stay together and even in smaller animals uh i don't remember what species i got one pair of hip bones from but uh most hip bones they they don't stay together most animals are very they, they have like a little bit of ligament in the middle of it so i'm assuming that they can kind of open and move a little more flexible than humans to uh, childbirth or walking or just whatever, but they come apart and they, and the bones came apart. So I don't have the hip bones together. And I think I lost a couple of bones from it too, or a bunch of segments. And maybe it was, um, structurally, uh, broken. So maybe it, 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 it could have stayed together, but broke, but, uh, otherwise I would have had to glue on, uh, each piece to one another. But I still have the majority of those bones. But it was interesting because I saw that the squirrels had already begun to chew away at it. And so I have a couple of their scars. Um, and then, at another time or another, I found a collection of vertebrae. So I have four vertebrae from a fawn. And can't exactly remember if I had them together or if they were separate. Or 
connected to something, but they do look like they go together, the same animal, um, because they fit pretty well together. And uh, they were quite a bit of work to get apart. I um, remember that. Um, the, the connecting tissue is pretty tough, but the these vertebrae are much more intact than my mule deer, at least in the details and structure and whitening. So they're they're interesting to play with, and they have uh, some structural damage to them as well as on the, the, the ends and uh, some of the interior. I'm assuming from being being chewed on by being chewed on by a coyote or fox or squirrel, but um, and then my um, one of my favorite style or shapes or structures or styles of bone, so to speak, is the sacral bone or the tailbone. And so all animals have it as well. It's like the, especially in animals that have tails, it's like the base part of their tail. And I'll, I'll post these up so you'll know what I'm talking about. And this one's a pretty small. It's about an inch, inch and a half long. Um, I'm assuming it came from either uh, a larger rabbit or some other animal like that because it's much too small to be uh, uh, a deer's unless it was stillborn but that's pretty morbid um and it's just got a beautiful shape and i know a lot of people really like sacral bones they're very much together they have very intricate cathedral-like shapes and and things and i remember getting this from uh my side garden out there in clarence and i have a whole um another vial of bones and that's a huge assortment I have uh, from smaller rodents, from mice to rabbits to voles. Um, and now I have uh, some deer teeth in there as well. And I have a couple of other teeth from squirrels and chipmunks and things. And I have some vertebrae that, and it's interesting with these vertebrae that the smaller animals, that the vertebrae did not stay together. They have a com the compartmentalized, so they have two pieces to their to their spinal cord and I, I have yet to go in and glue them together um and i'll take some more intricate pictures of this and uh, there's already some pictures on my instagram of of these bones you can go and check out but i'll take a picture of some close-ups from the the vial just for some pretty pictures for anybody on facebook to see as well um and most of these came from me mooching off of my cat um of hit their kills and this is where I got in trouble and on Tumblr because I had started to post these on Tumblr. Post my process gets a little bit of attention. Nothing too crazy. Nothing like nothing like this podcast. There's just a little bit here and there. You know, I probably got uh, reblogged here and there. But at one point, I took a picture of her kill site. She would dump, or her dump site, so to speak, and all the variety of bones and me working my process through them and then complimenting my cat, giving me plenty of to do. And, <clears throat> and then came the messages and came all of this hate and all of this, all this anger and, you know, New Jersey cat lady types, uh, weirdo types, all these other people of just super, super pro animal, everything, everything thinking. I thought that I would have a little bit of support because my cat was already killing these things. And, here in western New York, the the rabbit population, the bird population, especially sparrows, especially other animals, are nowhere in near endangered from any sort of 
animal activity or domestic animal activity at least yet but especially specifically the rabbit population i don't know if people quite understand how prolific their mating is but it is insane the amount of rabbits around here i see so much roadkill itself just at the beginning of spring season it's insane they all come out and one way or the other they die but i got so many things and so many very valid sources and valid, valid points as well of how you know cats should be inside domestic cats are causing problems with wild animals especially songbirds um all of which did not apply to my specific area at all most of it was about britain and i'm sure that and I, I believe they have a whole problem but they were they were getting their receipts they were citing their sources they were getting intense and somebody had one point at one point had messaged me about how uh that because cats are domesticated that means we've taken out all of the wildness around them no, they have no left wild so they should stay inside which I'm sorry, that's complete bullshit. If you're listening to this out there, you need to really just kind of wake up and smell the roses here because guess what? Cats, if my cat has the ability to catch a young rabbit or a young bird that has all of its senses switched on, is on survival mode, has, is in a much more dire environment than she is, she has a little bit of wild in her. That's why they still have claws. That's why they still have scratching. They still have their instincts. Domesticated or not, that's why... They do their things, and that's why with dogs, that's why we breed them for specific traits. Those are instincts that they had back in the day. Like they do not, we do not get rid of their wild tendencies. We get rid of their their uh, want to stray and wander away and pat and form packs or form groups with other wild animals. But they want to stay near humans, and we can feed them and keep them near us, and they can give us comfort, and they don't kill us. That's the only reason that what domestication is done. We've still we still enjoy their wild side. So, yeah, and that's that started for a couple of weeks. And after that, I I destroyed my Tumblr. I just couldn't take it. I didn't want to do it, and I was much less into social media than as, as I am now. And it was really just an intense moment of outrage culture. And it, I was I was so turned off by it. I sh in, in, in retrospect, I should have just stuck around with it and just stuck to it and just kept fighting my guns and or just ignoring it and just continuing on my day. But at that point, it was too much a distraction for what was going on in life. And it was, it was so it was so interesting to see the people that were saying those things and they were definitely not people that spent that much time outdoors or if they did, they didn't really have a big understanding. Um, uh, nothing, uh, but like it was, it, it was just all sorts of diff different and interesting people Especially that one that was telling me that cats didn't have any sort of wildness in them because of their domestication. I was, I was laughing my ass off for weeks on that one. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she didn't look like she spent a lot of time outside. Forget my dog, everybody. But I um, and then so later on from that, I was driving around with my little brother, and I happened to see a red squirrel that had been hit, and it was to the side of the road, it wasn't in the way of car, so I know it had at least only gotten hit once. Uh, yeah, it had only gotten hit once, I, I could definitely tell. I saw that the skull was still intact, uh, after I'd gotten out and looked at it a little bit, and I immediately grabbed some garbage bags, threw the stinking carcass into a couple of bags, and then drove it home, and immediately put it into my burial pot. And so, I, um left it alone for a couple of weeks and worked on some of the vertebrae, worked on some of the uh, shoulder bones and other things I had in my maceration pot. And I eventually unearthed the 
um, the squirrel. And I forgot what I had done to separate so that I could sift it out easier because it is a five-gallon bucket. I didn't have multiple animals. I believe I just placed it in a plastic bag that uh, acted as a layer but wouldn't suffocate the animal and keep it away from the dirt and the microbes. And I had left alone for well a long enough time. And so... I don't under I don't know if bones can be uh like the smaller minute bones can be uh decomposed through this process or not but I believe I just lost some bones in the sifting process because I I did it very unprofessionally and, and very crudely and amateurly and so because uh, I my intentions were to at one point articulate the skeleton but specifically I was looking for the skull um and if I couldn't do that I knew I had a couple of vials that I could put it into um and I have. A majority of those bones. I don't believe I was able to keep the feet. I think I lost the feet and some of the other bones through moving. Um, I um, but yeah, no, I uh, and I, I named him Cheech. So Cheech is my squirrel skull. And so I had all the pieces at one point, and I went through the process and I glued the jaw together. I um, painstakingly put in the teeth, which are very difficult, and I could not manage to put in a couple, and I intended to go back and do some more, and I still have those teeth, but I I put the jaw together, I glued them together, I glued in the nasal cavity bones, cover bones, and the one I mistakenly broke in my, in my frustration, which I regret to this day, but I it's still a beautiful skull. Um, I left it more yellowish brown, and I liked to do that because to me it was just an interesting look. It looked a little more weathered. I didn't necessarily want it completely white, and as well as I, I couldn't exactly get it too white. And I guess I was just impatient. I think I was, most of my things with this, I was just impatient to get the bones cleaned and get them around. So I think maybe that's partly why I like them yellow. But I was I managed to put the majority of the teeth, and then I placed it in my cactus. I really enjoyed growing a cactus and I um I had left it in there and and over time it just the the potting soil had just collected to it. it it's still pretty dirty the teeth are encrusted in dirt I don't know how I can clean it off pretty well without soaking in water and starting off the glue, gluing process all over again um I'm I'm sure I'll be able to manage away but for now I th I, th I think it gives it some character so Cheech has got some Cheech has got some dirt on him he's 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 a rootin' tootin' rootin' tootin' squirrel skull I am um, I have most of his ver or his ribs and some then I believe it's his vertebrae that I have in here other than some squirrel or some other some rabbit um and it was really interesting to me to find these little kill spots for my cat because there was a variety of bones and variety of bones and different structural integrity so most of the leg bones were all right because the thing with my cat was she she was so eccentric there she is she's still alive but she doesn't live with me anymore but um she had an affinity uh, because we had two cats at one point, and the one that has since deceased would eat. She would eat the legs, and only the legs. And then this cat Chupa, she would she would eat the head and the body. But after Molly died, Chupa began to eat only the head, and then the frontal half of it and leave the back half. I'm not sure why she did that. I'm not sure what her deal was, but she was a well-fed cat, so she didn't really need to eat these animals 100%. So I 
found a major uh, a, a ton of these odd shaped i assumed that they were like the straight up skulls of these animals and i couldn't figure out where the eyes went i couldn't figure out what would go where and it turns out it was the kind of like the connecting lobe bottom parts of the skull of these little rabbit skulls and it because with 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 their structure and even squirrels they have these kind of like little knobs on the base back base of their skull and i'm sure it's where they connect and where some their their head turning comes from and i figured that out from looking at cheech and so it was just really interesting to find this puzzle and that's majority of this is honestly a puzzle especially if you want to articulate a skeleton it's such a huge intense puzzle and i tried for a little bit i could not get the time to do it um let's see so now after that after this rock pot and so when i moved from clarence to South Carolina, I ended up having to dump out my rot pot, obviously, and clean it out. It still had a little bit of red in it to this day before I threw it out. I um, I um, then um, uh, crap. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, Jesus. Uh, I had to leave several bones and I threw them in the yard for the neighbors and and. Uh, and I, I, when I moved from there, I, I had to leave some bones behind. And I continued a little bit down south, but another thing that I... And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But another thing that I had done for uh, my pursuit through culture cultures, I found some mummified mice and, and voles in my garage. And I didn't know exactly how to clean them out or keep disinfect them because... I believe the one was hollowed out and the other one was, I believe it still had things inside of it. And I wanted to make the one because it was like a perfect position. It was curled up. The feet were curled up. It was adorable looking. The, the tail was nearly erect. It had a very interesting look to it. And I wanted to make a wet specimen out of it. So what you would do to make a wet specimen, uh, whether like a, uh, like a fresh kill animal or with an insect or maybe even a mummified mouse, you basically fill the jar up till it's just covering the animal with isopropyl. Look, intent, uh, hardcore isopropyl can work. You don't need formaldehyde. Formaldehyde works much better, but can be expensive. Um, and I'm sure I could have... It would have worked out for me if I had a fresher specimen, but it just seemed like it was falling apart and yellowing the water a little more than I would or isopropyl than I would want to and I don't think I did it right um and so I just ended up trashing that and I feel bad about that but I, I tried to do the best because I knew I couldn't keep a mummified animal in my house at all I don't believe that I, I could have done that myself um I uh I had a variety of insects in my collection I'll post them and I'll I, I didn't bring that with me so I should have looked at it but I know I have ladybugs I have some other forms of beetles I have some vicious types of larvae whatever type they go to or they're just them their types of beetle themselves I got bit a couple times by these suckers before I got to freeze them and I articulated those first and I bought a giant display case that specifically for butterflies, but I assumed I could do other insects in it. And I'll never open this thing up again because I have opened it several times and they nearly popped away and because they're so dry and, and the and it's not open. It, it compresses them into a fibrous thing that keeps butterflies intact, but other insects not so much. And like I've said, I attempted some spiders. Um, <clears throat> I have some box beetles. I think I have a box elder bug as well. But... Um, 
I have some June bugs in there as well. And I, I was able to pop out their wings and articulate the wings as best I could. And that took forever. It was such an arduous journey for me. Um, but I enjoyed it very much. And I would plug in some music and I would just go to town on using these pins to pop open these structures and to develop this collection. But I found a dead, I wish I could remember the name. It's just one of those typical big brown moths. Beautiful structured a little bit of damage to the wings here and there but it was just gorgeous um found one of those i found some of these other beautiful sphinx moths these beautiful gray and purple moths they're just they're just astoundingly gorgeous and i found a couple of those and froze or i found one of them and froze them and i have a handful of other just typical moths and things like that and i'll post them and you guys can get to see them and see how what they look like they're just they're just glorious so i love i've always loved insects i've always loved moths I really do like spiders. The only spiders that I can handle, though, touching, other than smashing or releasing, are the jumping spiders. The I forgot their specific names, but <clears throat> the ones that are big and they're soft-looking and they have, like, the white spotches or you have different all sorts of different colors, but they have, like, the the, the, like the emerald green fangs. And, but they're very gentle. They're, they're literally just jumping spiders. All they do is jump around. And I figured out as a young age, just playing around with them. And it was just, a, it was a lot of fun. And I, I always love those spiders. And they come around every year. And they're my favorite little buddies. I always save the babies as much as I can that I, as, I, as I see them. The young, in, immature spiders. But I, um, oh, excuse me, everybody. But I um, moved down south, and there was a mummified shrew that I had buried, and it's still buried. I never went back and got it, so forgive me, everybody. I moved before I could properly get get it out of my burial pot, so I'm going to have to go tell my mom to start unearthing things so she finds a skull. But I, um, I, uh, oh, I also, sorry, I, I, I had... I had procured another little songbird skull from an antique shop, and uh, I don't necessarily, never necessarily know if it's legal because technically, under the migratory uh, bird laws that were established in the 1900s to prevent um, hunting for or uh, what is it market hunt, market hunting um, that was destroying populations of animals. Uh, you cannot sell or buy bird anything, uh, feathers, bones, flesh, um, that is a migratory bird. And you specifically cannot sell anything that's a game bird, so ducks or anything. That's a, that's a no-no. You can't, you can't do that unless they're domesticated. And so the only birds you can really do, I believe, are pigeons, and there's probably one other type, maybe maybe crow. You could probably do crow, I think. It, it probably, but they probably still under that too. It all depends. You have to look up the regulations. I haven't looked them up in a while, but I know that pigeons basically are the only animals that you, or birds you can really do this with. But so, and there's no way for me to determine if it's a baby crow or not. So I just I, I bought it. it. It's been so long that it had been procured, and I cleaned it off. It still had some ligaments, and I cleaned it and whitened it. And I left that down south with my parents. They they enjoyed that more than I did. Um, but that was the only bird skull. And so after being down south for a while, I I was looking around. I had a couple other bugs here and there, and I still have those bugs. Some really cool bugs. I got to look up and tell you what they are. Um, I have a giant spider too that I I got to really work on, but. I um I uh they had a they had a 
community pond down there and I was I got back into fishing regularly down there. I, me and fishing go have a hard life, hard story. We go way back. I'll tell that in another adventure podcast because there's some good adventures from that. But I got back into bass fishing. The only thing that was the only thing that was in this pond was largemouth bass, which I was okay with. I experimented, got some more lures and things that had fun. I could actually catch decent sized bass, but I don't believe there were snapping turtles, but I did. There were a lot of turtles in this in this pond, and uh, just some of those ones. And I found some big shells. I found some good sized shells. They they were very very good size, and I wanted to um, preserve them. I have no idea what I was doing. I still don't. I still got to look up how to do this because the the coloring flaked off and it was going to turn all white and all these bits and pieces and. I don't know what I was doing, and I've tried to do turtles before because a lot of turtles would get smashed over in Clarence, and the same thing would happen. And I've got some turtle toes somewhere, but it just—it it was a no-go. I just—I failed miserably, and it all fell apart. If anybody knows how to do a turtle shell, please message me. Please tell me. Please show me some pictures of what you've done. I would love to see people's tur- finished turtle shells. I—that's I, a dream of mine to find another one, especially that size. Um, but that was the only really project that I had to get done out down there. And then I moved back up here and being in an apartment, being married and having real, real life to deal with and actual time being taken away with, with actual adult things. I haven't had a lot of chance to go, um, bone hunting again. And, but recently, uh, I've been taking my dog to get trained for duck hunting and I, um, and going on a walk, and I just, as normal, just happened to see some bones. And so I now have a, uh, a larger uh, fawn ver- uh, vertebrae. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, I'm assuming femur. I'm assuming femur. I don't know my bones very well. Obviously not, but I, I know what... I know, I know it's a leg bone. So we'll do, we'll do a leg falling bone. And I've, I've only... It's been sun drying for a very long time. There are some squirrel uh, gnaw marks or rodent gnaw marks. And, um, I've left it kind of dirty. I've left the dirt that's in it to stay, like, in it, in it. I didn't want to whiten it too much. I, I peroxide it to disinfect it, and so that's safe. And I have another one that was broken open by something, and an ant colony was living in it. And I cleaned it out, and I've been letting it sun dry because I saw some stuff inside of it that I didn't want to bring into the house. So I'll have to take a picture of that. It was just really interesting, and I may or may not even make a knife handle out of it because it'd be the perfect size and shape for it. I don't know if I could do that. I'll have to do that in another project some other time. But and then as my new my one of my newest favorite my my latest find and one of my favorite finds altogether is a matching pair of fawn jaw bones and they have all their teeth still and they even have some like their like uh, wisdom teeth in there and they're very old they're very worn um, they had a bit of moss growing in them and I disinfected them the best I could. They don't smell anymore. Um, something started gnawing on them as well. Uh, they're very brittle. They're very coarse. They're they're much. They're almost like wood now than they are bones. Um, I found a piece of the upper jaw as well from the skull, and there was tons of skull plates. I didn't bother bringing home. Um, wanted to leave those there, but this is obviously a coyote kill, fox kill, something, and it seemed to be a bit of a larger animal as well not a, not a definitely not a mature deer but they're on my instagram already with my dog looking all smug and 
I uh, I saved some of the teeth from the upper skull, but I left the other ones inside of the jawbone. And so when I don't I don't need to glue them because normally we need to glue in the teeth because they would fall out easily. But these ones seem to be very rooted in there, um, even after soaking them for a bit. I could glue them just I could pull them out and glue them in, but basically the molars were like almost. A, I didn't want to break the job from getting them out. Um, but before that, I was out hunting this last year, and my friend, he's more into shed hunting than I am. I'm more into bone hunting. Um, but if I find a shed, absolutely not a big deal whatsoever. I would definitely pick up a good pair of shed antlers, especially if they're a pair. That'd be amazing. But and I found antlers before, and I never bothered keeping them for who knows what stupid reason. But... Um, we were out and about, and we were, we were hunting red squirrels because squirrel season was around, and there was the only thing available where we were at. And so we each had gotten a couple, and we were walking through uh, thickly man-made planted uh, pine for evergreen forest part of it. It's just gorgeous rows of these pine trees, and it's one of my favorite places to hunt and just to explore. It's very beautiful. The ground is soft. It's very quiet. Um, I love deep timber. It's, it's it's beautiful, but I just so happened to see this perfect little pile and this perfect sunlight, this crow skull, and there were some feathers and there were some other bones, but this skull was perfectly white. And this is on my Instagram already. So white, so perfect. The sheath from the upper beak is still there and just so glorious. And and I picked it up and showed him, and he's all super jealous. He's like, "We're looking for shed hunt sheds, and you find a skull, you brat." But he. He's cool, but I, I still have that. I've yet to name it, but it, it's it's part of my collection now. It's probably the whitest bone I own. <laughs> but um, it, it, that was really just beautiful, and it got me really back into looking for bones again than this last recent year. So I, and I've just with with the jaw bones, I just I just literally was just taking my dog out. He was doing great in the water. He um, he uh, was doing great. He was tenacious and i saw this little bit of uh light timber a couple of pine trees that were just in the sun and he i was just like you know i'm gonna take a picture of this dog this is this is a photo opportunity and so i started making him sit move around take some pictures and i literally looked down at my feet and boom those jaw bones were right there they were just sitting there perfectly just paired off like they had fallen together and then fallen apart it just perfect some symmetry and it was, they were beautiful and I, I, I they're still some of my favorite they make my make my collection look pretty so um honestly i'm not i'm not the next jeffrey dahmer anybody who's into specific vulture culture is not the next next serial killer we're, we're not into death we're into the artifacts of life it's very much like taxidermy very much like shed hunting it's the exact same thing just in the more ethical sense so to speak uh, according to these standards and these may not be your standards are certainly not my standards anymore but um i still i'm still part of vulture culture because of because of these ethically sourced bones and my hunting bones and the bones i do for hunting will be in a completely separate separate pile um uh just because uh especially when i do find a way to discreetly have a rot and rot pot and a burial chamber for anything uh i will certainly have some more skulls and some more european mounts and things like that um even in a lot of vulture culture it's very it is very creepy very gothic and some people do have the, uh, that sense of like ooh, i'm into death but only because of these 
these these trophies all dare say it so it um it's it's just another way to get in the woods just another way for people to learn about their environment learn about science learn a different aspect of it learning about death in the wild is a very interesting and very important thing as well especially to our souls and our storytelling it's it's a very somber macabre thing it brings a lot of people joy because of learning of how there's these beautiful amazing creatures out there that do these amazing things and we get to see their final positions what and we can make up these stories and learn kind of how how and where they died you know if it was violent if it was peaceful if it was during the winter during the fall during the spring and we we bring these home and we bring these things into our home for another sort of tangible storytelling and there's so many amazing stories that you can have yourself with these adventures in the woods of finding them and searching them and you learn plants you learn the soil specifically and you learn you learn what other animals do with these and how these break down in in, in the wild and what you can do yourself to preserve them forever because if you leave them alone they will disappear and it takes a long time but they will disappear and if you can keep them you can keep them forever and bones will always be here and they'll be here longer than you are if they're taken care of right and and you also learn about the animal structure themselves and you really get a better sense and understanding of how their bones work. And, you know, it, it can apply to hunting and it can apply to just anything in life and biology and, and entomology and studying insect, insects specifically. They're, they, they, they get eaten and decompose so quickly that they only have such a short window to preserve them, and they, but they can stay forever and they can even be cleaned and refreshed and re and you can keep them for an eternally long time and and those are as well are just another sense of wonder another aspect of such an alien concept of these little creatures that are almost drones almost <clears throat> almost almost mindless but they they still do have life in them and they're so full of vigor and they are just such amazing little creatures and i've always been enthralled with insects and and bugs I used to cry at at, at killing worms and snails, you know, crying that they're beautiful creatures. That's my, my specific quote as a child. But I, it's another form of reuse. You know, we want to take these, these artifacts, like I said before, and these trophies, and we want to keep them forever. We want these to be reused. We, you know, nature can use them and they can use them per perfectly and for their purpose. But we as humans, we do have this sense of domain over the, the 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 wilds and we do want to keep these things and we would like to uh, put their put their stories in an eternal you know phrase and it gives us joy and it gives us a connection to nature and especially if you don't hunt you don't fish you don't have any other connection this can be such a wonderful way and I encourage anybody who's got a light interest in bones you can try it yourself it's very clean it's very easy to to stay clean you're not going to get much diseases unless you improperly care of things and um, go to the wildest place you can. And look for bones. And they can be in urban areas. They can be in suburban areas. They can be in parks. They can be anywhere. Just look for the densest places. Look for the most wildlife-rich areas. You can, you can find them. You know, if they're a little bit of a drive away, that's all much better. Get a good hike in. Just make sure if you're going to wild places, be safe. Keep a compass. Keep a map. Know your area. Stick to the trail as best you can. Look to the sides of the trail as much as you can. But make sure you keep that trail in sight. And be very careful. Leave no trace. Don't you dare litter. Don't you dare destroy the natural path don't make new trails be light be be mindful be careful and there's and i'm I'm very specifically excited for my children to see these bones because 
I I I have made my deer or my mule deer vertebrae from my childhood uh, multiply in the amount of stories that I have. Each very each bone has this tangible, physical, temporal rooting into a story and wonderment and. You can literally imagine where it would be placed in the animal and what what happened to this animal. You can see the scars, you can see the breaks, you can see the the protrusions and the things that must have happened. And you know, in a lot of my bones, I know the death of. I know what happened to them. I saw them happen. But I would, I especially would just love to see my children being enthralled with this and having that connection to nature, especially when they're young enough, too young to come out with me hunting or come out with me hiking. But yeah, old enough that they can comprehend death and comprehend these bones and comprehend the structure of animals. And I'm so excited to share these stories and have them have a sense of wonder and see if they can come up with stories themselves. And it, all, everything that I do mostly is for my posterity, essentially. Not necessarily my legacy in a sense that I want to be recognized that I've done these things in, in the future. But because I want my children to have skills and have mindsets and have in, in t this intelligence and imagination that we're losing in this modern day and that we're losing to technology and we're losing to social media specifically. I want my children to be able to, yeah, yes, be able to say that my dad taught me these things, but I want them to teach their kids and want them to be prideful and not prideful, but I want them to have a sense of pride of being able to be connected into the real world and connected into things that other people aren't, even if they're considered creepy or taboo, I want them to be able to look at it and have an appreciation for what it is. And my legacy would be if that my great grandchildren uh, will at least be able to have an appreciation for hiking or appreciation for fishing or something that gets them into the nature. I don't necessarily want them to be any way that I am. I only want them to have an appreciation for nature because that's one of the biggest ways that we can heal ourselves in these in these times that no matter what time is going on in the 1930s, we established a, a system of taxes that enabled us to take care of the wildlife and take care of the wild places of this country. And, and that was the most, and then it was the most true, um, troubling and trial time of the economy. And we, we agreed to subject ourselves to more taxes in the middle of time where people couldn't even get bread. So, it's something that's very noteworthy. It's something that's extremely important. And so no matter what status you were at, no matter how much money you have in your bank account, no matter what job you have or what st status of life you're in, you can do this. And you can do these things to get in nature. And I want to teach my children that that no matter how bad it is, nature is the place that can heal you, can heal your heart, can heal your body, can even pr provide you things for your body. And so I want I just wanted to share that with everybody here. And, and so I hope you all enjoyed this. I hope that you guys have learned something interesting. I hope that you guys can even comment and give me some feedback based off of bones. And I'll answer any questions. And I'm, I'm going to post some. I'm, I'm going to post. I'm going to post this podcast, and then I'm going to make a separate post to any information that I, I feel like I should give you guys. Some websites, some definitions, some words uh, that I described, so that you guys can have a better idea of what I'm talking about. So with that, everybody, I believe those are my closing thoughts. Um, other than that, just look look forward to the next podcast. Look forward to the next set of comments. Keep your eyes peeled. And um, I'm going to close this out here. So as always, everybody, be safe, be good, and do something noteworthy, even if it's only to yourself.